0: senior and i am here with john Witten, trying to podcast back in time somehow to release this 40th episode of project studio tea break a few days ago (laughs) oh gosh it's our 40th anniversary as well (laughs) and here we are well you know it's appropriate given that it's us given that it's the project studio tea break given that it's now middle-aged we've started to slide we've started to let ourselves go a bit Mm. what you've had thus far is us being tight and, and on it <laughs> and really, really together. And what you're about to hear is the first of the of the sloppy season. Now, I trust that, given this warping of space and time that has occurred, it means that you have fully earned your tea break this month. We like to joke on this podcast, and, and the listeners are kind enough to indulge us, but <laughs> I have. my I properly have. So I live... In Berlin, which is pretty cool and makes me pretty cool. Mm. But I had some work in the UK, so I I was back there for six weeks. And when I'm back in the UK, because it doesn't happen very much, especially over the last year or so for obvious reasons, I try to get all my UK work done. So I haven't had a day off in the last six weeks, which, which I'm sure to any parents out there or people used to, you know, working might not sound that much of a big deal but for me for my delicate little artistic sensibilities it's been mm. absolutely wild <laughs> the thing is it's all been really fun work on awesome projects that i'm excited to have been part of excellent but just doesn't make me any less tired it gives the lie to the change being as good as a rest yes Precisely. Rest is as good as a rest, and the rest can go hang. Yeah. Although, of course, the the, the upside of this good long stretch of of solid work is that I now have face palms (laughs) until episode 400. Just really sloshing them out. Excellent. very generous with them. How about you, Mike? How earned would you say this tea break is for you? Kind of 50% more earned, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Than your average tea (laughs) break. Yeah, because I've been basically trying to pack a month and a half's worth of work in in this month in preparation for trying to be able to take a couple of weeks off next month (laughs) yeah this is the problem with with running a kind of a online content generation thing right you have to keep stocking the buffers the wheels got to keep spinning it seems to be a full-time job most months and you suddenly go oh there's this whole month i'm not going to be able to do any more of it how am (laughs) i going to fit that month somewhere (laughs) yeah wow well i'm sure if anyone will find a way it is certainly you well that's kind of you to say I wanna dwell for a moment on this well-earned tea break Mm. and drop out of the metaphorical plane into the slightly more literal and say, what is a really well-earned tea break for you when it's not just kind of dashing upstairs Mm. and grabbing some like wet tea leaves? Yeah. What constitutes a proper nice tea break for you? To a certain extent, this is almost becoming ritual now. Oh yeah. But there's a point in most days Where I break off a line of chocolate, Mm. break it into little bits to make it last longer. (laughs) More bites, absolutely. Ration myself, take my cup of tea and particularly in the summer, go sit out just on the back lawn. Mm. I sit there with my tea eating chocolate. Oh, that sounds blissful. As long as the chocolate doesn't get in the sun and melt. (laughs) So sometimes I have to like park the little chocolate ramekin thing that i've got Mm. (laughs) park it like under my chair to keep it in the shade (laughs) which then involves some strange acrobatics whenever i want a bit of chocolate (laughs) whenever you want to nab a little bit of chocolate now i can see that being a complicating factor On yourself? Oh, gosh. I'm very much the chef of the house. Right. I think partly because of that, my ideal tea, a large part of it, is just one I haven't prepared. (laughs) One that appears. Yeah, a true break. One that is brought to me. Yeah. I think, now, what would it be? Best case, we're talking rooibos tea, red bush tea with oat milk, little bit of honey. Wow. And then if you'd asked me, Let's say it's you making this tea for me, Mike. Mm. If you'd asked me if I wanted any snacks with it, I would have said no. Right. But you've put a little one on there anyway. Yeah. Like sliced apple, like a bit of chocolate, something like that. And I go, oh, mm. oh, I didn't need this. And then I'll have it. Yeah. And I'll really enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Now, I this is an interesting one. I only realised the other day mm. that... Rooibos tea is decaffeinated, is that correct? Yes, that is absolutely true. And part of why I can drink it after (laughs) 11am. So you have this kind of visceral reaction to caffeine then? Uh, Yes, and um, it doesn't energise me so much as just like jitter me. Oh, right. um... Well, I thought that was just the normal, John. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> God, we haven't seen the normal John in decades. It's the closest equivalent that I've ever felt to being bit crushed. When when that slider okay. goes right down to two or so. The track through that is John through caffeine the sporadic (laughs) bursts of senseless noise it's good for podcasting don't get me wrong no i'm a hardened caffeine junkie myself how many coffees do you do in a day how many do you knock back well i don't know about coffees i just kind of chain drink tea oh yeah i mean basically i use tea as an excuse to get out of my chair (laughs) is really what it is because the kitchen's upstairs Mm -hmm. so it forces me to go up the stairs to make tea some proper movement and it's quite often that half my cup of tea is still left by the time i get up to make my next cup of tea (laughs) But that's not what it's about. If this <laughs> podcast has no other message, it's is that the ritual of tea of taking a break is is a thing in and of itself. That is true. I had a similar sort of thing I remember when I was studying for finals at university, mm. and I knew I really had to crack on. there was lots of work to do. yeah. And I somehow got in the mindset that the only valid reason to stop studying to get up from my computer was to eat. <laughs> you know because I had to have meals. Sure. that was necessary. The rest of the time needed to be working. I put on about 20 kilos) <laughs> <laughs> I <was gonna> say. <laughs> <laughs> in a manner that surprised nobody except me. Well, the, I mean, I must have said this before, but that, that thing about Douglas Adams. No, was this whenever he had a big deadline coming up, mm. he thought that he did his best thinking in the bath. So he used to uh, take progressively longer and longer baths the closer he got to deadline. <laughs> ha! And the thing he said about it was, no one could ever question my cleanliness in a crisis. <laughs> Show loved. Oh, goodness me. No, we have some follow-up from a previous episode. Oh, exciting. Now, of course, who amongst our listeners, and you least of all, can forget hmm. our in-depth, thorough coverage of Rebecca Angel's? Press release I look back on that Season of our show That kind of mm. Epoch Of the Project Studio Tea Break With yeah. great fondness And the, the only Bittersweet note Is that Rebecca herself Well we, we weren't able To find time No sadly In the episodes To bring Rebecca on um, It was her touring schedule that, and, and, and ours Yes um, Project Studio <laughs> Tea Break road Show. Uh, but you'll also remember Perhaps That this press release Came courtesy of Lydia Sherwood At Presto Public Relations <gasps> And if you you will recall, after you read me that press release, I said, can we just do nothing except read this kind of press release from now on? Mike, I'm getting very excited. Well, I mean, it appears that she was so thrilled by our coverage of <laughs> Rebecca Angel <laughs> that she has subsequently mm-hmm. sent us another press release. Oh, I'm so glad to hear. I know, I know you've got things planned for the rest of this episode. So did I. Sorry, I guess. <laughs> Now, actually, before I read it out to you, there's something I have to send you. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to send you four pictures. Right, shall I describe what I'm looking at here? Yeah, why not? Basically, these are pictures of a really nice looking studio setup. Uh, the first one is a gigantic desk, something large enough to fly a Star Destroyer. Mm. The next one is a triple rack full of modules with blinking lights that I'm sure can do all sorts of squashing and stretching of noise. Yeah. A full drum kit in a well treated room, lots of fancy asymmetric panels chucked up there. And finally, a full grand piano. Yes. Would you agree with me that that is pretty much the epitome of what one thinks when you think of your kind of medium to higher range commercial studio this is exactly the sort of thing i would expect to be recommended yeah if i told someone i was on on the lookout for and had you know something of a budget for some recording well let me correct you there then or rather let lydia sherwood correct you uh, but lydia can do no such thing we're barely friends <laughs> to say <laughs> to say that electric kingdom studios which is this studio mm. is to put it simply like no other studio in operation today. Oh, <laughs> they could have made so many positive claims and they would have been very accurate. That's really one of the few that I'm going to have to put my foot down and say, drum kit and grand piano does not exactly make it you- OK. It's so good because it's, it's meant to be like a superlative. <laughs> In which case, it's just wrong, because it looks so much like every other studio. It uh, it really super does. It's not a bad studio, but it just looks like every other studio. Exactly like every other studio, to the extent that I've just noticed on the final photo, the one with the grand piano, and you can just catch a glimpse of a poster on the wall. Have you noticed what that poster is, Mike? (laughs) No, I haven't looked that closely. Oh, it's... It's the Beatles crossing Abbey Road. It's the Beatles crossing Abbey Road. (laughs) The most un-studio-y studio studio in the world. And they found this cool new art piece that they've decided to use. My word. Oh, it's splendid. (laughs) Or, or, Or maybe they're trying to get through on a technicality. Oh, yeah? Maybe they're trying to say that, well, every studio is unique in which case the statement is completely empty of any value <laughs> well and also untrue if every studio is unique then another unique studio is exactly like all the others philosophically <laughs> speaking oh yeah so uh, that for a start I, I mean it, it immediately ushered in my my, I, you, my uh, taking the mickey hat mm-hmm, and well deserved um, there are some other fine quotes yes please they've got some quotes yes. from the owner an engineer oh yeah uh, Gordon Bahari who's been nominated for various Grammys well ever recent Really big cheese cool um one of his quotes is i made this studio for creativity right a good <laughs> good i guess uh, okay What well, what else do studios get made for <laughs> <laughs> this studio was entirely made with the vision of grinding out soulless money-making hits <laughs> exactly Oh, but there's more. Oh yeah, the the Neve console, which is a quite a nice Neve console. It's all about tone and beauty. Oh God! So I mean, that's to differentiate it from all those studios that are after <laughs> lack of tone and ugliness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those tone and beauty enthusiasts, that niche market that you can finally break into. <laughs> oh my words! Another great one. This is the second to last paragraph of the press release, as is being quoted. Mm-hmm. Analog recording sounds warm. I think it reminds us of the great classic recordings, as it adds more harmonics and emotion to the music. Mm. And then, literally in the following paragraph, he says, It's the purest reproduction of audio available. (laughs) But with the soul intact. It's like, you can't have one and the other. You can't add harmonics (laughs) to your perfectly faithful reproduction. Then it's not a... (laughs) I mean, I'm sure he knows... This is the thing. I'm sure he knows this. I I can't imagine that a Grammy-winning producer who puts together this studio doesn't know this. Oh, it's just lovely. Wow. Lydia comes out with some great bits in the the non-quote stuff as well. Oh, good. For example... There's even the new Moog 1, the most powerful analog synthesizer ever made by Moog. (laughs) Which, if you look at the Moog 1, it's like a a three-voice synthesizer a little bit in the same form factor as the Mini Moog. Yeah. And it's like, well, isn't the Moog modular more powerful than that? In kind of every, maybe the Moog 1 is louder. I was going to say, maybe it just has a more powerful amplifier in it, just in sheer wattage. Yeah, that's (laughs) the one. She's tested the volume of both of them and decided that this one is more powerful. But this is my favourite bit of it from Lydia. Walking into Electric Kingdom, artists and producers will immediately be overwhelmed by the sheer volume and quality of gear assembled for their use. (laughs) That sounds horrible! That's not what I want! (laughs) (laughs) And also, look at the rack and ask yourself if any kind of producer who uses this kind of studio won't have seen a rack like that before. And on the guy's site, this is the worst bit of it, though. I then followed it, of course. Of course. Pulled on the thread and followed it to the guy's website. And there, when you go to his gear page, at the top of the page, it says in big letters, the largest selection of top gear available today in the industry, which is just a huge fib. (laughs) It's just not true. It's like, go to Blackbird or Abbey Road. Okay, so what, there's like, there's about 18, maybe 20 racks in here. Yes. So the claim seems to be that there, There is no studio with more than 20 rack units or maybe just all their other racks just aren't top gear oh maybe that's it maybe Maybe the thing i'm misreading here Uh is that they have the largest collection of top gear dvds (laughs) (laughs) he's a huge jeremy clarkson (laughs) fan See that that I could more easily believe <laughs> Oh my, it breaks my heart Because as you've said This looks like a really nice studio Yes <laughs> And it sounds like it's being completely missold. sold It's just been oversold You know, if you've got actually what is a really nice looking studio Right And it's only like a half an hour above Manhattan Yeah And then you oversell it like this Yeah It makes you feel like you're trying to pull the wool Like you're trying to make it look like more than it is It somehow mm-hmm. cheapens it Yes, exactly also, I want to spend just one more moment yes. on their promise that both artists and producers will feel immediately overwhelmed. <laughs> I know everyone's got their own style and their own places. I mean, as we said, like Douglas Adams got creative in the bath. Yeah. But who wants that? <laughs> who asked for that? <laughs> who went into the studio and was like, "I just, I just feel kind of in control and ready to perform. Could you please wrong foot me a bit? No, not with your vision, yeah? yeah? Not with ideas, just the amount of electronics that I'm gonna have to deal with. Could you up that number until it intimidates me? And then, then I'll give you my best. Or can you imagine just a bunch of producers meeting there at the AES or something and going, you know what I'm really looking for? I'm looking for a studio where I can just be overwhelmed. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Now, John, when I mention soundproofing and acoustic treatment, what things come into your head? Oh, gosh. Um, so kind of at the low end of budget, there's a sort of piling towels into picture frames and wrapping them in sheets and nailing them to every patch of your wall that you possibly can. Mm. Towards the higher end, there's stuff that looks like kind of roofing insulation, but somehow costs 50, 60, 70 pounds per square Um, (laughs) centimetre. What what seems to have become fashionable and presumably is quite good recently is ones that look like sort of crammed in metropolises. Yes. You know, like different buildings at different levels with slanty roofs. Well, they look like those little cabinets that they used to have that you'd put little trinkets in. Yes, exactly. Thimbles and stuff. Exactly that. (laughs) Apparently, those are good for studios now. Yeah. Who knew? Now, these are all comparatively big bulky thing yes absolutely oh god and if we're talking about big i was helping a friend set up a studio a few weeks ago mm. he has bass traps which are floor to ceiling oh yeah pillars that i can't quite reach my arms all the way around hey mm-hmm. the deadness in that room is extremely impressive yeah but the space in that room is for about half a person <laughs> at this stage yeah now you bring up An important issue here. Mm. And this relates to our news this month. Oh, good. Because it turns out, I think, that a lot of the time when people... Are thinking about acoustics and dealing with acoustics, they're always thinking big. Yeah. And particularly obviously with bass frequencies of things, you're often thinking, well, you need big things to absorb them. And you need to treat big areas, and you need big products to do things. And that overlooks the fact that sometimes small things Ooh. can also make a difference. Okay, I mean I'm gonna say that completely goes against my priors. I, yes. I didn't think there was any way around the fact that that you need something the size, consistency, and Price of a high end mattress yeah. to make any difference to the sound of a room. But there is exciting news of a new soundproofing development from Dr. Hakan Venison. I think I'm murdering his his name right. Mike, this sounds exactly like a sponsor. This sounds like an end-of-show sponsor. I'm just waiting for the pun to drop. For the punchline. Yeah, really. (laughs) At Malmo University's Department of Material Science and Applied Mathematics. Mm. And what you need to understand is that there's a basic principle of sound absorption. Okay. And that is fundamentally that... Elastic and malleable and bendy materials, basically absorb vibration and they absorb it basically by converting the vibration into heat i mean very small amounts of heat so you don't think of it but that's basically what they do right when something wobbles around and it's friction that stops the wobbling and then that friction is, is heat exactly i mean that's the principle basically behind acoustic foam you know rock wall insulation you know those limp mess membrane absorbers yes it's also it's also the thing that makes uh microphone shock mounts work Those little spider mounts? Oh, yeah, of course. So you've got these elastic bands that are effectively separating the microphone from the thing that's holding it so that vibrations hit the elastic and they dissipate and go into heat before they reach the microphone. Makes a lot of sense. Now, the way this has typically been used, this idea in soundproofing, Mm -hmm. is by creating, you know, rooms within a room, like floating floors, where you have a whole separate floor on rubber bits. Okay. On top of the floor that's actually there. And the same with the walls and the same with the ceiling. You know, this is the whole idea of room within a room construction. That makes sense. I can see that. Or by, you know, packing lots of rock wall or something else like that into the walls. Mm-hmm. And as you have quite rightly pointed out, <laughs> these kinds of acoustic measures tend to, first of all, be big and expensive. And secondly, take away quite a bit of workspace from your environment. Yeah. I mean, hugely. And so this is where Dr. venison comes in. Because what he's done, he's he's developed... A new spring-loaded screw. Wait. And this screw is designed such that the thread of it that you screw into the wall Mm -hmm. is actually a separate piece of metal To the head of it which you actually use to screw it into the wall and that holds whatever is is being held on holds that against the wall this is completely mind-bending and they're connected via a kind of a spring-loaded cartridge oh so it means that when you screw your plasterboard onto the wall Mm -hmm. the fixing is springy okay so it's secure but it's springy that's amazing and so this reduces the sound transmission through a traditional drywall, just your traditional plasterboard... Yeah. ...by up to nine decibels. No way! (laughs) Oh, my God, that's so exciting! Also, it does it kind of both ways round. So not only does it mean that if air hits the plasterboard and tries to vibrate the plasterboard and transmit it to the structure to another room... It reduces that, mm. but it also reduces it the other way around. If sound's coming from outside, right. or, or there's something um, vibrating the structure of the building, mm. that also has trouble getting through to the plasterboard and manifesting itself as sound in your recording space. Right, because it's got to go through this spring. Yeah. Which will just kind of entropy a bunch of it off. And Whoa. it's a comparatively cheap thing. Even though it's a specialist screw, it's still not going to be like 50 euros a screw. Well, And your room winds up the same size as it started. Was it even cooler is that you can retrofit your studio with its existing plasterboard mm-hmm. so you can go and take the screws out of your existing plasterboard replace it with the spring-loaded <laughs> ones and it gives you the improvement they did it in a like a hairdressing salon they replaced all this plasterboard screws with these new ones yeah and they had a fair bit of success with that i mean i don't know what the reduction is on on that what a great idea what do the screws look like out of curiosity have you seen one well it's funny you should mention that <laughs> okay so what i'm looking at here It is larger than a normal screw. Not by much. Well, the actual thread bit of it is the same size as a screw. Mm -hmm. And then it's almost like it goes up to a screw head that you would expect. And then it's like there's a kind of a stack of spring on top of where you think the screw head would be. Mm -hmm. And the real screw head is at the top of that stacked spring. Mm -hmm. So I presume that there's some way in which when you press down on the screw to screw it in, that something in the top bit of the screw engages with slots in the bottom bit of the screw so that it turns. So that it actually all turns, yeah. So that you can actually screw it in and out. But then when you let go, it springs back out again. And acts as a damper. What an absolutely brilliant idea. And actually, it's amazing to think... Why has no one thought of this before? It's quite rare you get a kind of a discovery or an idea like that. I'm kicking myself already. (laughs) I mean, my word. You feel like someone must have just gone back to real first principles. Yes. And said, okay, what's a room? Yeah, yeah. What's a room made of? Where does stuff go? Where does it come back from when when, when we were talking about vibrations? Some really clever person must have been comfortable sitting down with the question, what is a wall? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And just approaching that with kind of an an easy open mind. It's... Somehow, doesn't that feel like it's the kind of thing that feels more natural saying it in a Swedish accent? (laughs) (laughs) Yes! (laughs) A hundred times yes. of Of course it came from there. Of course. I think there's a place where maybe the British could bring something to this design. Oh, yeah. And that is the fact that it is probably almost impossible not to use the word screw somewhere in the product name. <laughs> <laughs> so surely it's answers on a postcard as to where the innuendos are going to occur. Well, I mean, it is literally a floppy screw, isn't it? It's, it's, what, it's what we're being sold to, It's what's being offered onto the free market. A screw against the wall? <laughs> <laughs> Silent Screw I mean, yeah There's... <laughs> oh. Oh, honestly, it's not fair Because there's not many words you can't put behind screw Which, which don't make for a fairly <laughs> funny innuendo Yeah, well they've chosen to call it the sound screw You were very kind in where you chose to put the emphasis in that name <laughs> Because a sound screw is very different from what you said Particularly um, because sound as a word is multivalent Well, th- there we go You know, proper, well done You know, once you've refitted your studio It's been soundly screwed <laughs> Oh, gosh, I hadn't considered the multivaliency of the word screwed as well. That's a point. How, how much do they cost? Do you know? Well, this has been designed and thought up and patented, and they have still yet to license it to be made into a real product. Oh, interesting. So they've proved the concept... But at this point, they're now wanting to coordinate with actual manufacturers of hardware, building hardware, to try and develop this into a product that can be made. But obviously, there's a lot of excitement about it, as you can imagine. I can imagine. Well, look, if any of our listeners are titans of industry... Mm. Um, first of all please write to us because I, I really want to know if any titans of industry listen to listen to the show but let's get on this yes this is going to be huge I'm going to buy like a hundred of them yeah I mean we'll shout about it yeah absolutely will. we will give you the Rebecca Angel treatment <laughs> Now, there may be those of you wondering, did they stop releasing episodes because they had no face palms left? Have we finally done everything wrong that can be done wrong? (laughs) I I was going to say, through this process of careful self-examination attained perfection, but yours is slightly more realistic. And to be honest, listeners, sometimes it does feel like, surely we must have done everything wrong by now. Mm. And then what happened to me last month happened to me. Oh, gosh, where (laughs) is it? Oh, that's always good. that so., uh, yeah, that was harbinge well. I started working with a with a new company this month mm. who will be putting something out early in the new year, which is very exciting, and more details here when it comes. Mm. And we had the privilege of being invited to rehearse at a, a quite established venue in London. Ah. I'm omitting names for reasons that will become clear <laughs> as, <laughs> as this story progresses <laughs> anyway, the um, the show's schedule starts with a dance call, and a dance call is just a warm-up physical shows to make sure everyone is in shape and ready to go and, and all warm and won't hurt themselves when tossing themselves around the stage. Yeah. I'm mostly on music, so I was told I didn't need to attend, but mm. I like these things. They're, they're fun, and it's also a way to just kind of show the cast that you're working with, that you're, you're in it. And yeah. Hey, free gym class. Yeah. Who's turning that down? So I turn up nice and ready and the first thing I notice is that everyone else has got jazz shoes on. Right. And I think, oh god, I didn't don't have those. That's fine. I'll just wear socks. Right. Whatever. So dance calls, in my experience, are normally done to some sort of inoffensive dance music, some EDM that's not gonna get in the way, but is just gonna be just distracting enough yeah. so that you don't think about how much your lungs hurt. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. But there's no music at all in this one. <laughs> <laughs> there's just those eerie strings in the background. <laughs> I know, I know. I oh can't even thinking... a, a, There's a playground chant going on from unseen children, echoingly. Oh god, it's awful. <laughs> and it's all stretches. Which is a bit intimidating. I've never felt more of a out-of-place, kind of lumpy ogre. Uh, okay. Because everyone else is, like, crazy flexible. <laughs> and I start looking around in ridiculously good shape. And this is an actor-muso show, yeah, with bits of dance in it, bits of physical theatre. There's no excuse for every single person I look at to be quite such a chiseled mess mm. um, of, of lat. Whatever those are, and quads, whatever those are. And they're all they're all just in kind of sloppy sweatpants and hoodies and stuff. Mm. And then we move into kind of cardio stuff. Mm. And within less than a minute, I am sweating hard. now <laughs> I brought a little towel with me because I know that this is, is a possibility. But it gets to the point where I am literally dripping on the lovely dance floor of this studio. Oh, wow. No one else seems to have noticed the workout that started from kind of their bored facial expressions. And I'm getting to the point where I'm I'm worried I'm just going to like fall over when, thank God, the assistant director comes up and just takes me out of the room. Oh, okay. It turns out this venue, as well as us, was hosting a rather good ballet company. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is the story of how I was late to work on my first day, missed, missed the first dance call, and then some, and managed to off uh, our uh, 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 of the building so basically <laughs> you I managed to gate crash it? a ballet recital <laughs> In the process <laughs> of which you turn up late, sweating profusely, <laughs> absolutely drenched through, oh, to begin my work. Wow! And the bit that's still a mystery to me, <laughs> still a mystery to me. The ballet company did not see the funny side of this at all. From their <laughs> way, so oh, I that's, I, I mean get, isn't that an indictment on ballet? I, I mean honestly, you want to think so? I definitely feel like the one indicted though. Yeah, but I, I agree. It's probably their fault. If I <laughs> if I had been social with them if I'd been in a position where I could have just chatted to them I would have asked what they thought was going on and how they let that go on for like half an hour 40 minutes oh wow (laughs) Mike, I don't know how recently you've shared the room with ballet dancers. It is obvious yes. from the first split second yeah. what they are and what I'm not. And they let it go on. I don't know <laughs> if that was sadism <laughs> on their part or if they just thought that the producer's nephew had been added to the show against the will of everyone else. Wow. It was humbling. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they thought it was some kind of outreach thing. Yes, maybe. <laughs> <An> impromptu <laughs> outreach. Oh, Gosh. So anyhow, the rest of that project went much, much better than the beginning. And I did think later that day, at least this is going to make for a solid face bar. No, with hindsight, at what point, if at any point, was there that moment where your alarm bells were going off? There was that thing of something's wrong here. Mm. Before you got taken out This is the oddest thing Because looking back at it, There's things that should have done The director who I knew Yeah Obviously wasn't anywhere to be seen But you know I assumed oh, They'll be in after we've warmed up That's fine I mean the thing is I had a sneaking suspicion oh. The moment you said Yeah they all seemed Scarily flexible I thought hang on oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah Yeah I should have done Honestly I think I must have Surely been able to twig something If it weren't for the fact That everything hurt <laughs> You were being destroyed. I was trying to touch bits of my body to bits of my body that hadn't seen each other in 25 years You were focusing too hard, you had tunnel vision on just trying to keep up Oh no, keeping up was the original goal And then just like failing inconspicuously very quickly became the aim How can I suck at this quietly? Was sort of the mantra running through my oh, head. Oh, wow. Oh, my word, Mike. It was it was something. So, the person who pulled you out, mm-hmm. was that your assistant director? No. I wish. <laughs> Our AD is lovely and would have brought humour to the situation. There was everyone getting ready and then there were a few people sitting at a table at the other end, kind of on laptops, I guess, planning the day of rehearsal. And I don't know the position this person has within the institution because we never got social. We never really chatted. No, no. No, it didn't kind of pass the time of day at all. It was a stir Man with curly hair and judgmental eyes (laughs) who came and pulled me out. I don't think that I find that fabulous about it is just that there was this gap between you being there obviously out of place right 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 from the shoes and they let it go on you I mean you would just love to have been party to those conversations <laughs> does anyone know that guy I don't know maybe he's related to the director <laughs> i really want to believe that there was some laugh had at my expense at the end of it but Given just the seriousness in the room, <laughs> I I can only assume that the entirety of it was that after after the warm up finished, the director got up and said, "So that that doesn't happen again, please lock the door after you come in." Now, scene one. <laughs> <laughs> It's like total sense of humour bypass Absolutely I mean, I would have hoped at least the director would have said Okay, um, act four, scene three, Swan Lake Um, yes, if you can just start us off (laughs) (laughs) Actually, oh, you make an excellent point While I'm here wishing they'd had a sense of humour Them having a sense of humour could have made it a hell of a lot worse (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, you could team up with Darcy over here (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there you go Okay, this is going to be the jump and lift set (laughs) when i finally realized what had actually happened just that whole body shiver of oh god oh oh god you start reviewing the last half hour of your life and go oh so and that's why oh (laughs) there aren't enough stones to crawl under (laughs) no there isn't a boulder big enough (laughs) into the Project Studio Tea Break mailbag, we have a question in this month mm-hmm. from Bert Kaplan in Colorado. Hi, Bert. And he wishes to get our wise insights into the following questions. <laughs> our wisdom regarding. He asks, what things most quickly undermine your confidence in a studio or an engineer? You know, the things that really out someone as a noob or show that the studio owner has all the gear and no idea. I mean... The very first thing is one that I know I've talked to you at length about, I think on record, but possibly just kind of chewing your ear off on a, on a personal phone conversation. <laughs> which is when I had a studio session and the engineer didn't know any of the keyboard shortcuts. Right. I can't overstate this. I'm not talking about that he couldn't kind of split and normalize with one keystroke. Yeah. I mean that every time we started recording, he would go up into the transport menu at the top of the page (laughs) and then move the mouse down until it got to record and then he'd click on record. It oh was God! Yes, so painful. Anytime we needed to move left and right, he would bring the mouse down to the scroll bar. He wouldn't use the arrows. He'd just kind of tug on the on the bar until we get where we wanted to go. Oh, and then this, wow. And this incidentally, this was on Reaper. Oh, right. The most customizable and automatable platform in existence. When you want to make a new track, you just double-click anywhere there isn't a new track, and a new track happens. Yes. But nope, nope go up to the track menu, <laughs> the mouse down to create new track. And I very, very quickly lost faith in his ability to do anything at all. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, you find yourself asking him, oh, is there a menu option there for left click? <laughs> <laughs> if there were, he would have found it. For me, I think one of the biggest ones, if walking into a studio, mm. and I've done a lot of studio visits, mm. is when you go in and there's something obviously and manifestly wrong with the speakers. Oh, no. You know, I'd like to say that this has only ever happened once or maybe twice, mm-hmm. but literally I don't have enough fingers. To- oh, <laughs> no, really? What sort of issues are we talking about? Uh, for example, I mean, this is now quite difficult to do, but about three or four times I've walked into studios and their speakers have obviously been out of face. And you know how you get that feeling when you're listening to the speakers, that your yes. brain's being sucked out your ear if you listen to them out of face? Brains being turned inside out? Yes. You're saying that they've just kind of worked with that for a while. And they've wondered why they can't mix their way out of a web paper bag. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> because word. Because their speakers are out of face. And then you... And The great thing about it is that when you go and correct this... Oh, you're a wizard. You're a god. You'd expect them to say that, and then they don't. <laughs> You know, you, you say, oh, well, yes, your speaker's out of face. Let me just sort that out. You sort it out. Suddenly, you can hear what you're doing. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I thought there was something wrong. Oh, <laughs> and then, and then it's just, okay, oh, well, let's crack on. It's like, but immediately you go, they should have been face palming themselves and they weren't. Yes, there you go. So it kind of compounded the problem. Yes. Or if I'm listening to someone's speakers and it sounds a bit one sided, and then I, I put some noise through the speakers and discover that one of the drivers is blown. <laughs> And the other one is where I was listening to everything and everything seemed to sound a bit odd and a bit metallic. Yeah. And eventually, I did the same thing of putting a noise signal for the speakers. And it immediately had that kind of comb-filtery metallic tone to it. And I realised that because of the way the guy had set up his monitors and his little monitor mixer and the way he'd done it with his sound card, he was double monitoring via the latency of the sound card. Whoa! So the whole time, he was listening to everything with a like a... 20 millisecond comb filter on it Flangy whoa (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is this is why now whenever I go into a studio before I do pretty much anything Mm -hmm. I have a little test signal that I have Okay. that is just pink noise and it has a pink noise burst in the left channel then a pink noise burst in the right channel then it has a pink noise burst in both channels in phase (laughs) and then it has a burst where one's out of phase with the other (laughs) And immediately it tells me, first of all, whether the levels are similar on the speakers. Secondly, whether both speakers are working. Thirdly, whether both speakers sound fairly similar. Mm -hmm. And fourthly, whether the speakers are out of phase. (laughs) And it just kind of heads off all those things at a stroke. That's amazing. That must have saved you so many headaches. Or like that studio I walked into in uh, the States and they were showing off their fancy pair of five-way speakers that all had this strange kind of moulding and things like they sometimes have in mastering studios. You know, some of those ones that look a bit like 60s imaginations of what aliens look like. (laughs) Yeah, futurist sculptures. And they sat you down in the sweet spot to appreciate how wonderful these speakers sounded. And you sat down you thought, oh, that's great. Yeah. Got up out of the chair... Walked back about six feet and all the bass disappeared. (laughs) Really? Oh, that is so interesting. (laughs) And you thought, okay, I don't believe you anymore. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So, yeah, the moment there's something obviously wrong like that with the speakers. That's enough. Another big one for me Mm. is if the owner or engineer and this one's a bit more subtle, I guess, yeah. is a little over-keen to show me how much of an expert they are. Ah. I am genuinely curious about this stuff, but if I'm just there to record a vocal yeah. and someone starts talking me through all the benefits of large diaphragms that most people don't know about <laughs> in this mic, <moment, laughs> yeah. I just, I really start to... Right. Work. And I, I don't know what it is, I suspect, but I just know There's that... There's something that, about that fixation on... The, the technical niceties yeah. that makes you think that probably they're not paying attention to the, the things that aren't the technicalities. Yeah. Or that they should be. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. That's it. It's the fact that I think they probably don't give a shit how my voice sounds. Yes. They're just really excited to be using a large diaphragm microphone. Yes. But the opposite, interestingly, is, is also true for better or worse, but so far in my experience for better, if someone leaves me out of the technical side of things, if I'm just there as a performer, as much as humanly possible, and, you know, says, hey, how's this sound for you? Yeah. Would you like it more this, more that? But doesn't go into that stuff. That gives me so much confidence. Right. There was a a time when I was doing lots of radio stuff with a couple of different bands, and just the comfort and peace Mm. of an experienced radio engineer who would never even learn my name, doesn't even care, would just look at the instruments I was playing, would come in, yep. put the microphones in the right place, yeah. and then get this gorgeous sound that an hour's sound check on stage that night wasn't going to be able to reproduce. <laughs> and not once did they tell me what was cool about the microphones. Yeah, And it's funny, it's kind of this understated presumption of don't worry I've got this. Yes, there you go. <laughs> you know this is so much this is so much my normal everyday work environment mm-hmm. that we don't need to talk about it any more than we need to talk about the computer keyboard if I'm working in a bank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have the chef coming out before your steak is served and being like, so the knife I've used that's actually hollow (laughs) ground. A lot of people, I mean, and that would make me nervous (laughs) for my food.
1: Uh, In exactly
0: the same way. (laughs) There's something I get as well. I mean, this is interesting because a lot of the recording sessions that I do, I do on location Mm. and I'm often the only person there as an engineer. So I'm kind of a self-op thing. Yeah. So I'm often press ganging people in to help do certain things and so i'm often on the lookout for anything that immediately tells me that the person who's trying to help me (laughs) knows absolutely nothing right and sometimes Ah. it's a little bit in inverse proportion to how keen they are yeah (laughs) and there are two things immediately that i can think of that make me go okay i've got to be really careful with this person Mm -hmm. (laughs) the first one is I mean, this is almost like a test. Uh. I like give them a mic stand and tell them to put the mic stand up. Because mm. all my mic stands, because I can take them on location, they're all folded up and in bags. So I give them a mic stand and say, oh, could you put that up for me? And if they manage to leave, you know that the main vertical shaft of the microphone stand... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I swear to God, this is going to be my next one. And they leave it extended below the like triangular base thing. Yeah. So it's touching the floor as well as the feet are. Yep, the hard metal central shaft is right in touch with the resonant floor. Just the same as the soft padded rubber isolated feet of the standard. Yep. Yeah, so that's one of my dead kind of noob giveaway moments. <laughs> but the second one... It's if you hand someone a mic mm. and you say, oh, can you pop this mic on that stand? <laughs> and you see them trying to screw the mic yeah. onto, the, onto the mic stand boom, <laughs> by turning it around in their hand. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's another kind of dead giveaway. Well, and bonus points for that if they've already plugged in the XLR <laughs> and are therefore <laughs> getting it like taffy wrapped around the stand. Oh. But do you know what's awful, Mike? Yes. Well, that is hilarious to watch, that is... Something I have done so many times. That's a habit I don't seem to be able to shake. I know you can just loosen the arm yeah. of the stand and just turn that little bit of metal. I know, but just somehow or other, if I'm sleepy and not paying attention, yeah. I will find myself just trying to rotate it around and not let it fall out. Yeah. <laughs> and having to stop to unwrap the cable every every three turns. I'm so used to doing it by twiddling the mic stand arm yeah. that when I got the little clamp stand that I've attached to my desk to hold my podcasting microphone. Yeah. The top bit of that, you can't twiddle it. Oh, really? And I I had this kind of visceral objection (laughs) to actually having to screw the mic onto the little widget on the end of the stand. This is wrong. This is fundamentally wrong. (laughs) Something broke inside me then. (laughs) Now, after a full half an hour or more of us being uh, lovable and informative as always, (laughs) you can imagine, dear listener, that we get a bit peckish. And so this is the time in the podcast where we often feel that we need to take a, a bite of crunchy, refreshing toast. Ooh, that sounds hearty. Mm, It's properly crisp. Do you know what it is? That's so odd, because you've got the top of the bite sound, the beginning of that bite perfectly. But what it sounds to me more than anything, Mm. it sounds to me like this is just kind of continual contractions around a one meter tall piece of bread you're just going in a bit and in a bit and in. the bite doesn't finish exactly yeah you're right yeah you know it's just it's kind of soft all the way down it doesn't have that tight finish yeah i need to work on my performance technique a bit here then is, is that what it is <laughs> it's a 10 foot wide piece of toast that i slowly contract there you go that's what i'm imagining like yeah those are kind of <laughs> screw pliers which just gradually gradually get smaller okay if i had to guess and you never will I don't think I wait. It's really interesting. I'm gonna say some sort of Gucci loafer on freshly fallen snow. Interesting. That's the kind of that's the crunch of it. Yep, yeah, that's my f- final answer. Okay. No. Oh God, was it Prada? You see. <laughs> yeah it's that it's that tonal difference it's important to realize mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize now, the thing is i was recently inspired because i listened to an episode of the Twenty Thousand Hz hertz podcast which is kind of vaguely music related and mm. in between shouting at it for doing lots of things that i didn't agree with <laughs> at the same time they had a couple of episodes on foley and it inspired me with some of the in- examples they did of very recognisable sounds that you create with different things than you would ever expect. Oh, fun. So as a result of this, I decided that I had to up my game, mm. Toast Foley-wise. And that now was time to commit and <laughs> get some proper Toast Foley performance going in. Okay, okay, we've been doing this for long enough. And so I created this Toast Foley performance with this toothbrush. Oh, <gasps> Really? About a centimetre away From my microphone just brushing it gently with my fingers. Oh my goodness. I feel like we've played around with brushes and combs before, but nothing to quite that level of effect. I was surprised myself. I was expecting it to create the sound like spreading a piece of toast, but it created such a convincing bite noise that I thought, well, if life gives you lemons... Right, yeah. <laughs> ...make toast. <laughs> Claim that you were going for lemons in the first place. <laughs> yes, yes. That really <laughs> is a very good toast foley. Now, is toothbrush something they they recommended for that perennially tricky toast? No, no, they didn't. But I just thought, well, I might as well push the Toast Foley boat out (laughs) and try things that I hadn't thought of. I'd say that's landed... Very nicely indeed. I mm, that's one of my better ones. Yeah, I think so. Well, more accurate. <laughs> let's not let's not start deriding yeah. the inaccurate ones because that's, true. that's an awful lot of my oeuvre right there. They each have their own rich history. There we go. Rich and complex past. So, now that we've had our snack... Now we've had our snack. We're fortified for this month's jam. I, it's always been a little bit odd to me that we eat the toast and then get out the jam. It, <laughs> Although normally we spread it, I suppose. The internal logic of our project studio tea break universe is a bit it? like drinking the hot water and then sucking the tea bag isn't it <laughs> yes a little bit <laughs> a little bit that's that's how we do it here mm. so I want to I tell you about a musical comedy special which listeners two words I always like to come together there we go which you will either have been told to watch about fifty times in the last month, or you won't have come across a kind of yeah. people I know about evenly split, or they were until I told all of them to watch it. Yeah. Fifty times over the last month. <laughs> um, so let's see. About fifteen years ago, there was a plucky teen called Bo Burnham. Okay. And he made funny, edgy, extremely offensive songs in his bedroom, um, (laughs) popped them up on YouTube and became a bit of a tearaway success. He had a very successful Edinburgh run. He went on all the big talk shows and became, you know, a professional stand-up comedian. Cool. Which was, yeah, I think pretty cool. And then he sort of stopped. Kind of waned. He sort of vanished. You know, and it, it turns out that that was... He was having some quite severe panic attacks. Oh, right. Was wow. dealing with some stuff, and that's what that was. But he's just someone who hadn't come into my consciousness for about 10 years. Yeah. And then he goes ahead, and he drops the only piece... Of COVID art that I've enjoyed. <laughs> wow, that's quite a statement. It's in a world where Ratatouille the musical exists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> God, no, I can't. Okay, okay. My The favorite, only my... other bit of COVID art. The second piece of COVID art, which you know is not to say the only thing that's come out, but the only thing which exists because of and in relation to right. the pandemic which I think Ratatouille the musical also falls into that category <laughs> and it's rather cleverly done he doesn't mention the pandemic once oh right wow now, there's a couple of very kind of oblique allusions but what he does is he films records this entire special inside one room okay by himself And it's basically, it's a series of music videos. And if for no other reason than to watch his ingenuity to create, I don't know what it is, 11 distinct music videos in one room using a bunch of remote-controlled lights and projectors and some props. But still, it's Mm. really impressive. Yeah. Really impressive. That's the thing is that, you know, viral YouTube things can be interesting in their own right just because of the content but when you get the impression that there's this tremendous craft behind it as well mm. like that video that I think we once talked about of the band who did that music video where they drive a car around a kind of an assault course yes and you just think oh my god that technically that's just a tremendous achievement yes. whether the quality of music that was okay go or walk off the earth doing um someone you used to know on on a guitar with six of them playing it there you go craft is the perfect word there's yeah. immense craft on display yeah and also just like some really brilliant observational acute Mm. bits and you know Mm. a few misses a few clunkers but just on the whole as a a concept piece yeah you know i'll make this entire thing in one room without an audience it is brilliant now before i say any more i'm gonna send you a youtube link oh yeah i've got it a white woman's instagram it's called let's have a listen (laughs) So, Mike, first (laughs) reaction? Well, my first reaction was... This is like the best observational comedy. It's like you immediately see things and you go, <laughs> yes, I've been seeing that forever. Just like the three <laughs> cactuses on top of the box. Right. Uh, or, or right at the end where you can see, before he even does it, mm. you know he's going to blow out the candle <laughs> at the end of the video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like it's this kind of crushing inevitability. Mm-hmm. Beautifully observed. Beautifully observed. And just songs that have lists like that. So he goes from there into sort of quite explicitly political songs around social issues to the opening song, which is the one I wanted to find, but I I couldn't find the video of it available online, Mm. which basically tackles the question of um, why on earth anyone would want a comedy special right now with all of the big problems in the world. (laughs) And in that song, he's visited by God, and God tells him that he needs to heal the world with his comedy. (laughs) Um, So there's a real self-awareness and there's stereotypical rap videos in there. There's like an an 80s workout ballad about how inappropriate his early output was. Yeah, It really feels like everything you could possibly do in a room over the course of a year Yeah, and and make into a comedy special. It's just brilliant. The thing is, it's not just observing stuff, but observing it, deconstructing it and working out how to do it convincingly enough that it could be that thing Mm. if it weren't him mugging (laughs) in the middle of it. Yes. It's like the bit where the outline of one of the walls of his room is done in fairy lights and he's standing there looking wistfully (laughs) and otherwise kind of painted white Mm -hmm. it's it's just such a cliche or the or the one where he's looking into the camera kind of all kind of wistfully and you can see that there's a ring light um yes reflected in his 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 eyes oh it's just amazing isn't it it's just ticking off the cliches oh it keeps reminding me of something i'm not sure quite what it is Oh, I know who it reminds me of a lot now. Oh, yeah. Is Ilvis. Really? Yes. The Ilvis acapella number, for example. Oh, Ilvis. So I thought you said Elvis. No, Ilvis. And I was ready to hear you out, but I'll be honest, I wasn't yet convinced. Comm- <laughs> yes. Him and Elvis have very similar vibes. But the Elvis a cappella thing, the, the dubstep one, the Airhorn classics adverts. Yes, and, and what they've got in common is something which I think we've talked about before. The fact that if you want to make fun mm. of sort of super-produced a cappella music, yes. step one has to be to write a really good super-produced a cappella number. Yes. It's only funny on that level if it's really good. If it's only because he's decided to make it funny that it isn't actually the real deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dubstep song wouldn't be funny if the drops weren't heavy. It, yes. It just it wouldn't land. Yeah, and it's the same I think with everything in this special. <laughs> is that it sounds exactly as it should, and as you say, it's only funny because he's decided to make it that way. And I'm telling you, my street cred has just gone up a whole <laughs> a half a notch with my own kids. Really? Because I've they've been mentioning the name Bo Burnham and they might even have played me one of his videos because I noticed the link on Spotify says Welcome to the Internet and I think I might have seen a video called Welcome to the Internet Okay yeah that's another one of off this special It's a song Not to cast aspersions on the deep diving abilities of your children but if they have suddenly come onto Bo Burnham it's probably this special Right Seeing that's the only public thing he's done in the last 10 years But they just don't realise they're way out of date already <laughs> that you were 10 years ahead of them 15 actually Mike but it's, it's no big deal Well before they were Born, in fact. Yeah. It's so good. This is the gift that keeps on giving. Not only have you upped my street cred, but you've given me the perfect opportunity to completely pull the rug from under them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you mustn't tell them you know it. You just have to learn a couple of the tracks and then just walk around the house humming them. Oh, you know he's been around for 15 years before you were born. <laughs> this is what all my friends listen to. Yeah. We're really into Bo Burnham. But the classic Bo Burnham before he sold out. <laughs> it, it, it's dad music. Are you guys into dad music? Incidentally, he has a fantastic hymn on ageing called 30 he turned 30 over the course of making this song which has the unforgettable line when he was 27 my grandpa fought in Vietnam when I was 27 I built a birdhouse with my mum oh god I'm turning 30 (laughs) now John have you ever had this problem that you can never find a tuning fork when you need one Uh God. This is meant to be past my face palm. But I may have had a stage at age 18 where I carried run around with me everywhere I went because I thought that's what being a musician meant. Right. (laughs) I didn't, at that stage, realise it was just about resenting people who were better on your instrument than you. Um, (laughs) But but since then, since then, I absolutely have not had a tuning fork to hand nearly as much as I would have liked. Well, this month's sponsor, Mm. Double Action Incorporated, feels your pain. Oh, thank God. You'll be glad to know your tuning forkless hell is almost at an end. Okay, I'm listening but resentfully at this stage. Because they bring us their new range of studio accessories, tuned to musical notes. (laughs) Okay. For example, the basic model is a, a studio coffee mug that you can ping with a teaspoon at a 440. Right. You just have to make sure it's empty because there are different fill lines that provide you with different notes above I that. I was going to suggest fill lines. Amazing. And and that it's the same temperature as it ought to be. <laughs> oh no, it's very carefully temperature stabilized the ceramic that's been used. Oh, amazing. And they also have a microphone stand for guitarists. Okay. Where each bit of tubing is tuned to a different guitar string. <laughs> So each bit of the stand? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're going to tune to Dadgad, you need to get a slightly different model. (laughs) (laughs) And this joins their existing range of dual-action pencil mics that actually double as real pencils. Oh, oh, there you go. That's the kicker. These sound very exciting um, I can't wait to get involved with them I can only imagine the monstrosity that the mic stands have to look like in order to have a component tuned to each of the appropriate notes These kind of strange lopsided Picasso-like structures Yes <laughs> If you'd like to get in touch with us then uh, we'll be awfully, awfully flattered You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash pstb tweets and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash pstb books. Or you can email us at teabreak at projectstudioteabreak.com or just head over to our website at com. Anything to plug this month, John? Oh, yes, this is about to go out. If you happen to be in or around Cambridge, Babylon in Theatre, have a new show, Condido or Optimism at all costs. Um, that is going up in the Robinson Theatre in Cambridge. The first night is tonight as we're recording but it's running until the 8th. Wow, cool. So uh, if you listen quick, and you may still be able to nab some tickets, I know those are going fast. How about you, Mike? Anything to plug? Well, if you would like any more of our joyous Project Studio Tea Break nonsense, then do head over to our Patreon site where we have... Lots of new extras again this month. We have talk about quantizing drums on tape. Mm. We have a whole news item about a traveller's guide to Geriatrica. <laughs> <laughs> I need to review some of these. And not to forget, some watered down <laughs> celery soup and some free productivity foley. <laughs> never, never to forget. Gorgeous. In that case, until next time, ta ra! Ta pets. <laughs>